Well, good morning. My name's Shane. I'm one of the pastors. If you're new uh, here, our lead pastor, Pastor Don, uh, is actually out of town uh, speaking at a, a friend's church. They had a special event uh, that he was invited to come back to uh, and help uh, honor uh, one of his uh, previous co-workers and leaders, and so he had that privilege to go there. Last week, he was out of town for a daughter's wedding, uh, so it's been a good opportunity for him to get away uh, for a couple of weeks. Last week, we had the opportunity to hear from one of our elders, Bruce uh, Paris, and uh, he just shared some of his heart and God's word with us, and uh, we appreciate that when our elders are willing to get up and do that, uh, connect with you, engage with you, encourage you from God's word uh, in that way. This morning, uh, I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you a little bit, and I really kind of had an open week. There wasn't a assigned topic. Sometimes I, I'm saying, hey, I'm going to preach this week, and here's the topic and the passage. This week, there wasn't one. Uh, I just was praying and thinking about what God would have for us. Uh, we've been in the middle of this uh, Letters uh, to God's People series, and so um, I've been reading through a lot of those letters uh, over the last few months, and I was realizing we really aren't hitting Colossians. Uh, we've been going through the Gospel Project for a number of years, uh, and so we're kind of in the last series of that as we're wrapping that up, uh, and the Letters to God's People is kind of ch- taking us through uh, everything from right after the Gospels and the, and the book of Acts up to Revelation. And we're just hitting little snippets here and there. And I realized uh, we hadn't really touched on Colossians. So I'm going to uh, be teaching a little bit uh, from Colossians 3 as we continue uh, that series today. So appreciate you guys being here. For those of you watching online, uh, anybody uh, that would like to, you can follow along in notes uh, in our church app. Uh, those of you here in person, there's some printed ones in the back if you'd like to take notes. Uh, and you're old school, uh, as PD says, and you like to kill the trees. Right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, he, he gives me a hard time because I'm a, a digital person as much as possible. Although when I come up here, I'm planned for digital, but I've got my print, paper printouts because what happens with technology sometimes? It fails, right? <laughs> so I'm ready to go. Uh, so I still kill some trees too. Um, as we uh, jump in this morning, I just want to uh, start by thinking about a concept that I've come to realize. All right, so Ben asked if students are excited about school, and I, you know, if I heard anything, it was maybe some low-level groaning. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Parents, are you excited about school? Usually, parents are jumping for joy. I'm not so sure this year. This year has been a little crazy. We've got four teenagers. Uh, We're getting emails left and right, and we cannot keep up with all the information and changes. It's overwhelming, and we still don't really know what to expect uh, over the next few weeks. But there's a new school year starting, and when we start something new, what I've come to realize is when something new happens, it always requires more new things. Have you guys noticed that? Parents should know that. If it's a new school year, what do you have to do for your kids? You're buying new school supplies, you're buying new clothes, you're buying all kinds of new things. It's a new year, it's requiring more new things, right? And that's kind of pretty typical uh, in our lives. And so uh, this year, we, we bought a bunch of school supplies, we bought some school clothes, we bought new backpacks, and then we found out the school isn't letting them use full backpacks, they have to use drawstring bags. So we went and bought some new drawstring bags, which I expect to last about two months, if that, uh, and then we'll have to buy more new ones, you know, new year, new stuff, uh, and that goes on for everything. Anybody bought a new house before? What, do you, what happens when you buy a new house? You're done, right? You're set. <laughs> no, then you just start making lists of all the other stuff you got to buy or you want to do or you want to get or you need to get. Uh, that's the way it goes. A new car, right? Maybe if you buy a brand new one, you're set for a little bit, but usually you're going to get some little dice or something or maybe a sticker to put on the back. You're going to do something you know, to, to personalize it and make it your own. Uh, you know, a new baby or a new kid, if you adopt someone or you, you have a new baby, you're going to buy some new stuff, right? New things require more new things. How about a new job? 
If you get a new job, uh, which my, my wife more, most recently has, uh, there's also new things that come along with a new job. This is uh, Grace Senior Living. You may have seen it being built over the last year or so. It's right on the lake, literally on the Lake Orion Oxford Township line. Half the building is in one township, the other half the building is in the other. Uh, but uh, it's right there as you're heading down towards the Catholic Church and Buffalo Wild Wings on 24. And so she's uh, been working with them for the last year or so, but getting ready to help open this uh, facility. And so uh, she, they finally been working that out. A couple weeks ago, we were there. There's stuff everywhere. They're supposed to have a, an open house in like three days. I'm like, yeah, right. This is not going to happen. I mean, there's just piles of stuff everywhere. They worked their tails off. They got it done. Uh, and this week, they actually have uh, their state inspection on Tuesday. You can be praying for that. So they're hoping to be able to start moving in some new residents uh, this, this following week. Uh, but, of course, yeah, she gets a new job, so she gets a new office, right? And when you get a new office and a new job, what do you need to do? You gotta get some new stuff, right? And so a new monitor, you know, some plants and some decor, some pictures on the wall. We're just getting started. I'm pretty sure there's more coming. Uh, but we had to put some things up on those blank, uh, those blank walls. That's actually some of Clara's artwork uh, up on the wall there. Uh, and, and I got to help out. Uh, you may not be able to see it really well in this picture, so let me zoom in just a little bit. This is a, let me make sure I get it right, it's a hedgehog tape dispenser. It's a hedgehog tape dispenser. And so uh, that's not real gold. It's not really as expensive as maybe as it looks and fancy as it looks. We were walking through Meyer one day and I said, oh, you need one of these for your dad. I was just joking. I saw, oh, you need a hedgehog tape dispenser, right? She's like, yes, I do need a hedgehog tape dispenser. And we joked that it's now like the statement piece of her office and that little gold you know, she's starting to bring in and other things that she's bringing in there. So anything new usually requires other new things. Uh, that's something we see all throughout life. And as we turn to Scripture today and God's Word in Colossians, I think we're going to see that that's a reality uh, in our own lives uh, spiritually as well. What's the big idea? Our new life requires a new lifestyle. That's, that's essentially, I think, what Paul's saying to us as we turn to Colossians 3. Our new life requires a new lifestyle. And we're going to get into that here uh, in just a little bit. Let me pray, and uh, then we'll talk through just a, an overview of Colossians, and we'll dig in a little bit. If you have your Bibles and want to turn along, I am reading from the ESV. It should be on screen. It's also in the notes. Uh, but if you have a Bible and want to follow along, turn to Colossians 3. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for your love for us, and we thank you for uh, the Bible, which is your overall love letter to us, uh, explaining your heart and who you are, uh, your love for us, uh, and the ways that you've uh, created us and called us to live uh, for you. As we turn to uh, Colossians today, uh, Lord, just give us uh, ears to hear and hearts that would uh, hunger to know you, to know your word, and to live for a way, live in a way that's going to glorify and honor you. So we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Colossians is one of those letters uh, in the New Testament. We're in this Letters to God's People series, a letter written by Paul while he was in prison. Now, Paul didn't start uh, the church at Colossae, the Colossians church. Uh, it was started by a, a guy named Epaphras, which was a, a friend or a, a colleague in ministry of Paul. And uh, so Epaphras was visiting Paul and updating him in prison. Uh, and Paul writes this letter uh, to the Colossians people that, you know, for Epaphras to take back. 
uh, as an encouragement and exhortation to them. And so, of course, it'd be nice to do a whole series on that, and maybe someday we will. The Gospel Project, we're just taking these kind of overviews. But uh, before we jump into Colossians 3, just real quick, uh, Colossians 1 and 2. Colossians 1 kind of starts with uh, just thanksgiving for the genuine faith and love that the Colossians have. Uh, that, that Paul has seen and Epaphras has seen in them, so he's encouraging them. Uh, he goes on just continue to praying for their spiritual growth and development, that they would uh, grow up in Christ and continue on uh, in following Christ. Uh, and then he really spends some time exalting Christ. That song we just sang, Jesus, you're, you are enough for me. We're going to get a chance to sing that again here at the end. And that's a, a big message throughout the book of Colossians, the preeminence, the prominence, the priority of Christ. He is all that we need. He is all and he's in all. And we're going to see that in uh, chapter 3 as we get into it too. So he kind of wraps up chapter 1 that way. So he's encouraging them. He's praying for them. He's pointing them towards the importance of Christ being the center of their lives. And then in in chapter 2, he kind of gets into more of a warning or a caution for them. And I think it's born out of uh, some of the realities that they were facing uh, at that time. Uh, One was a very polytheistic environment. So you you know, Roman environment, you had lots of different gods, lots of different deities that people were worshiping or honoring, uh, and that's a problem uh, when it comes to Christ, who uh, is God himself and uh, claims to be the only way uh, to a relationship with God and forgiveness. And so it's not just Jesus and all these other things, it's Jesus and Christ alone. And so he's warning them not to be deceived uh, by some of these worldly philosophies and things like that. He's also warning them not to be tripped up by man-made traditions. Uh, There's a a strong uh, contingency of Jewish people who are talking about the laws and legalism and all all the things that you've got to add on to be enough. Uh, and, and, and all that, Paul's warning them, don't get tripped up by that. Christ is what it's all about. And so that's kind of a, a quick summary of chapter 1 uh, and chapter 2. So let's pick it up. Uh, we're going to read it in kind of three chunks here. We'll read uh, verses uh, 1 through 4 in Colossians 3, and we'll unpack this uh, a little bit for you guys. Make sure I get my Bible right side up. So Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory." And so it starts with that conditional statement, if then you have been raised with Christ. And Paul's writing this to a group of believers uh, who have made that statement. He's, he's pointed out in chapter 1 how important Christ is. And in chapter 2, don't get distracted by these human traditions or these worldly philosophies. Christ is the center of what everything's about and what you should believe in. And here he's saying, if you have been raised with Christ, Christ died, he was raised from the dead. If we've placed our faith in him, that's what's happened to us. So if we have been raised with Christ, he's saying set your heart, set your mind on things above. Seek the things that are above. And that's where we're going to start with this new uh, lifestyle, is that if we've got this new life in Christ, we need to start with a new mindset. So we've got a new life in Christ, we need a new mindset. And he tells us two things here that I'm going to focus on. Get your head out of the gutter and set your heart and head on things that are above. All right, when I say get your head out of the gutter, I'm talking about all the worldly things. 
All right, and he's going to unpack that a little bit in the next section. We'll get into that a little bit. Get your head out of the gutter. We think so much just about the temporal things and the things that are going on around us. And there's lots of good things in this world. God created it as a beautiful place for us to inhabit and be able to live and enjoy. But we get distracted by all this stuff down here. And we, get, we don't fix our eyes on Jesus and on the things of eternity. And that's a problem. And if we're going to embrace this new life, it requires that we have a new mindset. And so uh, that's what we need to focus on today. Now, have you guys heard that, that phrase before? You're so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. You're so heavenly-minded that you're so no earthly good. I think that came from a Johnny Cash song in the late 70s, about the time I was born. Uh, not one I'm familiar with. Young, young folks, you can Google it later. It's okay. Uh, that's, that's just going to go right over your heads. No big deal. That concept, you're so heavenly minded, you're so focused on the things of God that you're no earthly good. I don't think that's the problem for most of us. I don't think Johnny Cash originated that idea. I think it kind of came back from Jesus when he was criticizing the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of their day. You know, and he basically said the same thing to them in a nutshell. He said, you're hypocrites. You know, and you're so focused on all these rules and traditions and laws, and you think you're focusing on things that are important in heaven, but you're not. And you're making all the people that are following you twice the sons of hell that you are, is basically what Jesus said to them. And so I think that's what Jesus was saying to them. You're hypocritical, you're self-righteous, you're so focused on all these things, you're no earthly good. You can't help people. But I don't think that's most of our problem uh, when it comes to this whole concept of needing to focus on things above. I like what John Piper says. He says this, yes, I know it's possible to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly use. My problem is I've never met one of those people. And I suspect if I met one, the problem would not be that his mind is full of the glories of heaven, but that his mind is empty and his mouth is full of platitudes. Think of uh, the, the Pharisees, right? Lots of platitudes, their hearts were far from God. I suspect that for every professing believer who is useless in this world because of otherworldliness, there are a hundred who are useless because of this worldliness. Our problem isn't that we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Our problem is we're so earthly minded that we don't stand out. We're not bringing heaven to earth because we're living just like everybody else around us. That's the reality, I think, and the problem for most of us. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says it this way. I might be a little small. I'll read it if you guys can't. Uh, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. We need a new life and a new mindset. We need to be heavenly focused if we're going to be of earthly good, helping to bring a new life, a new mindset, a new way, going back to the way God created us initially, to live in fellowship with Him and to live in love 
Now that's what's important. We were made to crave the things of heaven, but we become attracted to and distracted by the things of this earth all too often. We're made to crave the things of heaven, but we become attracted to and distracted by the things of this world. It's only when we have that eternal perspective, when we're focusing and we're setting our hearts and minds on the things that are above, on God's things, on his values, on eternal things that matter, that we can truly live in a way that's going to make the most of our time on this earth. How many of you guys have had a new job before? What's one of the things that comes along usually with a new job? They, they gather you together for what? I heard it, an orientation, right? That, that's pretty typical. Carrie's doing that with some of the employees that they're bringing on at that new, new facility right now. They have these team meetings or orientations. And the reality is when we become a new follower of Christ, we need an orientation. We need a reorientation in our lives. Now, when you're thinking about a job, a lot of times that's a one-time meeting or maybe a one-week process. You go through this orientation. For us, that reorienting is an ongoing process as followers of Christ, but it starts. There's an expectation uh, that when we have this new life in Christ, we place our faith in Jesus, now there's an expectation that there is going to be a new lifestyle along with that, and it starts with that reorienting, renewing of our minds. Um, for me, I remember back when I really first started walking with, uh, with Jesus. I, I placed my faith in Jesus in, in junior high, but went through uh, junior high and high school just kind of struggling, attending church, but not really knowing what it meant uh, to walk faithfully with Jesus. And it was in college when I began to do that. And I remember just that struggle uh, you know, of, of kind of my old ways and my old thinking and, and that struggle of putting those things off. I actually had to cut out, uh, I was a big country music fan, I had to cut out a lot of country music back in the day uh, because so much of it's you know, sadness and drinking and depression and all these types of things. And I realized as I listened to that, it was, at that point it was just dragging my mind back towards earthly things. Uh, and, and I had to cut out a lot of media that had borne a lot of lust and other things that were a part of my sinful worldly nature that I was needing to get rid of. And, uh, and it's, it's been an ongoing process. Uh, but I remember having to make some of those choices. I can listen to country music now and just hit skip on some of those songs that aren't quite as wholesome. And it's pretty easy uh, to do that at this point as I've been reoriented and that's okay. Um, but uh, it's a process. But we have to choose to start that process of renewing our mind and realizing if Jesus has given us new life, it's not just a pre-pass. There's a, there's a requirement. There's an expectation that there's new life style coming with that. And it starts with our minds and our hearts being renewed. Uh, so that's the beginning of this here um, in Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 4. It starts with a new mindset. But then we need kind of a change of style, a change of clothes, right? Anybody like that? They go through this phase where they, you know, they change their style. I don't. My haircut, I, I tried that once about the time I met Carrie, and if you've seen like our first date picture ever posted online, I had this floppy mess going on up here, and then I shaved it off, and it's pretty much been like this for 20-some years now, you know. I, I, I'm the last person to give you any advice on style or fads or those types of things, so uh, this won't be anything about your change of dress, but Paul uses that analogy uh, in this passage, and so that's what we're talking about. You, we need a change of style, and when you're going to change style, first you got to do what? Take off the old stuff, right? You got to get rid of that. So you've heard out with the old, we're going to say off with the old lifestyle. We've got to get rid of uh, the old lifestyle, and Paul gives us a picture uh, in this passage of what that old lifestyle 
uh, looks like. Just a snapshot. It's not real pretty. Not real pretty, right? Nasty stuff. Let's, look, let's pick it up in Colossians 3, uh, verse 5, moving forward. We'll read what Paul says there. So he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. All anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have uh, put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge uh, after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek nor Jew, uh, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. All right. So this is the old lifestyle, and he says uh, right at the beginning, we got to get rid of that, off with the old. He tells us to put it to death and put them down. Those are the old ways, the ways of the world that we used to live in. We used to walk in those ways uh, before Christ. Now we've got a new life, and we're a new creation, and we've got to put that stuff off. If we're going to change clothes and go with a new style, we've got to get rid of the old stuff first. Hopefully, even if you're not stylish, you get up every new day and you put some new underwear on, right? I mean, at least you've got to get rid of the old stuff and you've got to put the new stuff on, right? Hopefully, you're, everybody's doing that. That's part of the process. The first step is getting rid of that stuff. And, and I'm focusing as we go through this on uh, the, the clear commands, the imperative words in here. Those are the, the clear commands. This passage is very instructive. Uh, he's been uh, talking a lot in the chapters 1 and 2 about prayers and thanksgiving and encouragement and, and just lifting up and exalting Christ and warning them a little bit. This one is, here's the stuff you need to do. That's what this passage is primarily about. And there's nine or ten primary commands in here. And the first two are put to them to death and put them down. And so uh, when, when we look at that, that idea of, of putting the parts of our body uh, or the parts of our life to death, uh, we need to understand that it's demanded of us, that it's expected of us. We have new life in Christ. Uh, you saw in verse 3, it says, You are dead and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Right? In Christ with God. So that idea, you're, you're dead already. You've got a new life. And so if we've got this old life that's dead, we also need to put these old ways to death. And so that's the expectation. There's a reality. We've been giving a new life. We've got to get rid uh, of this old stuff. And so the, the good news is that it is demanded and expected of us, but we also have the power that's in us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, that's given us new life, has, gives us the power through the Spirit to put those things aside, to put them off, to put them to death. And, and so it's an expectation, but it's something we can be excited about too because we're not, it's not this, oh, this, this thing we can never live up to. God's called us to it and he's empowered us to be able to do that. But there's some work that we've got to do uh, on our side too. So we've got to put them to death and put them down. That word put them down really means to, take, to, to lay them off, to take them off, to strip them off. It can be interpreted in all that. It's that idea of taking off the old clothes, getting rid of them. And, and so there's an expectation there that we put those things to death yeah, and we put them down. And then he also tells us to, that we shouldn't lie to one another. We don't, don't deceive one another. It's so easy to try to fake it in the Christian world. Show up on Sunday, put your smile on, put your good clothes on, act like you're fitting in. But that's, that's not what, what we're supposed to do. 
All right? We aren't here to, to try to impress everybody or make people fake it till you make it kind of thing. You know, make people think that we're fitting in, make people think that we're living the lifestyle. There's an expectation that that's a process that's already begun and is continuing in us. And so that, that authenticity, not deceiving one another, not, not putting on falsehood, not faking it, not lying to one another, misleading one another is an important part of things when it comes to that. And so he talks about uh, the old self uh, and really the, the, world, the word there is the old man, getting rid of, having put off the old man, the old humanity. Uh, and so the word there really is renouncing that stuff. We've got to renounce that old way. That's our old life. We are not tied to it. We are not chained to it. We are not invested in it anymore. We've got to renounce that. That's the old way. Uh, and we can let that go and let that old man die. And then we're being renewed into that new humanity. It's an ongoing process. And he, he describes it this way. That we're being renewed into the image of our creator. That whole old man, new man thing is, is just packed with theology that goes all the way back from Genesis 1, picked up in Romans, lots of places that Paul teaches about in the New Testament. The, the old man is really characterized by Adam, right? And, and, the, and the sin that came through Adam to all of us. And that broke that created image. We were all, before sin, we were all created in the image of God, to walk with him, to experience fellowship with him, to, to see as he sees, and to live as he lives. But sin got in the way and that, messed that up. The old humanity, Adam, messed that up. And so we've got to renounce that. But through Christ, the new man, we have been put to death, that old man, and been brought to new life, and given a new man, a new humanity, that we're to live out. We've been given the power to begin to re-experience uh, what God intended for us in the original creation, to walk in intimate fellowship with him, to live the way that he's called us to live, not just so we can please him or earn his love, but because he knows that's what's best for us. And when we understand his love and his grace, and we understand that his design is what's best for us and what's going to bring us the love and the joy and fulfillment that we're craving, uh, we're going to hungrily and eagerly I'd go after that too. So the whole idea of the old man or the old self and the new self is rooted in uh, that theology. And then Paul concludes uh, in that section, you know, talking about, you know, there's no distinctions. Uh, you know, it's not about classes or races or any of those things. There's no distinctions. Christ is all and he's in all. He's the center of everything. He offers his love and his grace and that new life to all of us. And he empowers all of us to be willing to new to live that new life. And, and so as we, uh, we get into this new life in Christ, and we start with that new mindset, the renewing of our heart and mind, and then we realize we've got to put off these old clothes, right, uh, that we've been living in, that we've been walking in. They're, they're stinky, they're nasty. We need to get rid of those and get some new digs. And uh, we've got to do that. So then uh, in this passage, Paul starts to move uh, towards the end, towards... All right, we've gotten rid of the old clothes. What are those new clothes that we're supposed to embrace? And so he says we've got to go on with the new lifestyle, right? We're off with the old one, on with the new one. Let's pick it up in verses 12 through 17 in chapter 3. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one of us has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I say this picture of new life is a little better than the bleak one we saw earlier. All right, that last one was, was pretty nasty. This is a picture of just some things. Again, these are not exhaustive lists, and either, either list is not an exhaustive list. It's just the things that characterized the earthly ways and the worldly ways, the sinful ways that we used to walk in. And these are some of the things that characterize who God's created us to be and who he's calling us to be and the new lifestyle that's required of us as we uh, come to new, new faith in Christ. And so as we get in uh, to this uh, last section of the passage, Paul's basically telling us we've got to dress and act the part. We've got to dress and act the part. Now, sometimes we say those words, right, dress the part or act the part, and, and we're literally acting, right? Again, this doesn't go back to the fake it till you make it or fake it so I can fit in type of mentality. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that we've got to dress and act the part because of this. You are God's chosen. You're holy. You're beloved. That is true. If you've placed your faith in Christ, even if you just came to Christ and you still got that whole list of other junk going on in your life and that's what your life's characterized by now, you are chosen. You are holy. You are beloved. You don't have to earn those things. Christ did that for you. And for me, when he died on the cross and paid for all that junk. And so when we realize that, we want to live in a way that honors and reflects the new reality that we've been given. That's what Paul means when, he's, when, when I'm saying, when he's saying dress and act the part. He's saying put on these new clothes and he's not saying put on an act, fake everybody, show, show everybody that you're how good and holy you are. That's not what it's about. You've been given a new life, a new identity. You're loved, chosen, forgiven. Live that out. Let your new reality Reflect the, the humanity that God has called us to and created us for. And, and so that's uh, the initial part there. So I would say dress and act the part. But the other thing that's a little more hidden in here uh, is that we need to be a part of the body. When you look at that list of sins you know, in the first part of this chapter, most of those aren't just things that affect us. They're things that affect each other. You know, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. And he goes on later, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Those aren't just internal things that only affect me. Those are things that we do that affect each other and hurt each other and drag each other down. And in the same way, you look at the, the good qualities, the virtues that he's saying that we need to embody here, put on Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. That means putting up with each other's junk and, and struggling through some of that a little bit, right? Being patient through that, enduring it. Uh, forgiving one another. And then above all, love, right? All those types of things. That's not just me sitting at home on my own. It's meant to be experienced. And the way that we live our new lifestyle isn't just about me and, and showing how good I am. It's embracing 
and impacting the people around me in a different way. Instead of dragging them down and spewing out all this junk uh, that's going to hurt and, and hinder and destroy, I'm going to build them up. I'm going to get rid of this junk that keeps tearing people down. I'm going to embody these things that are going to build others up. And I'm going to be a positive part uh, of the body of Christ. So we've been raised with Christ uh, to be a part of his body. And that means uh, being together, loving one another. He gives us three kind of explicit um, uh, commands here at the end. So the whole idea of dressing and act, that was the whole putting on, uh, clothing yourself, the NIV translates it, and that's a good translation uh, of the word there. He gives us three commands here towards the end as he starts to wrap things up. Let the peace of Christ rule in you, be thankful, and let the word of Christ dwell in you. Uh, Those are all things that are part of, if, if we're going to embrace this new mindset and live out this new lifestyle, those things have to be a part of our lives. But again, he's Im- implying that those things aren't just for me. It's not just I'm peaceful and I'm sitting at home. It's like embrace peace. Instead of letting all this petty stuff tear you apart, embrace peace because you're called to one body. That, that phrase is in that explicit command because you're called to one body. Let the peace of Christ rule. That means it reigns. It trumps everything else. So we let the petty stuff go and we embrace and pursue peace with one another. Thankfulness, we need to pursue that and make sure that we are being thankful. And when we're a thankful person, we're more likely to be positive and encouraging uh, to the people around us and letting the word of Christ dwell in you. Uh, From there, he goes on and talks about, uh, it says there in verse 15, let the word of Christ, or 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So it's not just that I'm letting the word of God dwell in you. And the word dwell there means that it's living in you. Literally, it's living. God's word is living inside of you. And when something's living inside of you, it can't help but come out. And so we dwell on it. We meditate on it. We, we, we consume God's word. And when we do that, it comes out in our lives. And it's not just the pastor that stands up on stage to deliver the message that should be exhorting and encouraging one another. All of us are the body of Christ. And we all should be letting the word of God dwell in us and we should be encouraging and exhorting and, 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 and doing all those things for one another, being a part of the body. Those are crucial parts of our new lifestyle. And then when we think about all that we've been going through, this whole coronavirus stuff, and we haven't been able to attend church, right? Or we've been watching church online. Well, church isn't meant to be attended or watched. Yes, it's, it's important to gather together and be together. But there's nothing stopping us from being the church, Church isn't a building, it's not a service you attend, it's not that. There's nothing stopping us from being the church. Are you doing these things with one another? There's nothing stopping you from that. I'll, I'll brag on my wife. I got permission for the other uh, illustration. I didn't really for this one, so I'm not to owe her a dinner, but I did that intentionally, so it's, it's good to you know, owe her a dinner. She's uh, been doing this thing with some of her college girlfriends. She's got a great relationship with them, followers of Jesus, and uh, there's four or five of them that they're just reading through the Bible, and, and they're in this group thing together, and uh, they read the passages of the Bible each day, and they share things that God's learning with them, and they encourage one another, they pray for one another, and they le- post these audio messages to one another. Uh, and so it's not just they're doing this reading plan and checking it off their list, they're engaging with one another, sharing with one another, encouraging one another, listening to one another, grieving with one another, they're living out that, even though they're, they're many in different states. They're living that out. Now, is it better if you can be locally doing those types of things? Yes, but she's doing that. 
And she's living that out. And uh, it doesn't matter if we can't attend church for a season or in China they can't attend as freely as we can. They can be the church. They can do these things and be a healthy part of the body. And so God calls us to live a new lifestyle. He's given us new life. He calls us to live a new lifestyle. I love how he just kind of wraps it up. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. It's a great memory verse. that kind of sums things up. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Kind of wraps up what he says in chapter 1 in Colossians about the preeminence of Christ and, and what he said here about, don't, in chapter 2, don't, don't get distracted by human traditions or worldly philosophies. Christ is, is what it's all about. And here he's saying, you know, Christ has given us new life. You're dead. Live that new life. Christ is all and is in all. He's empowering us to do that. And this kind of sums all those things up. Doing it in the name of Jesus doesn't mean we proclaim the name of Jesus. It means that we, we're doing everything with that mindset, considering how would our Lord and Savior do it? How would he say this? How would he do this? We're living every moment. That whole word and deed uh, just kind of encompasses our whole life. That new lifestyle. Uh, that we need to have. As we wrap up today, what are some of the things that God's impressing on you as far as your takeaways? He starts with the, the condition or the assumption uh, if you've been raised up with Christ. The idea that Christ is offering new life to each and every one of us. If you have not embraced that, accepted that, that's your first starting point. Don't try to be good enough and put off all that old stuff and put on the good stuff so you can earn and be good enough. That's not the starting point. The starting point is embrace the free gift of God's grace and salvation. Pre, uh, Bruce taught about that. I don't know if that was just me or you guys, but I think we just lost the light or something. Um, anyway, sorry. Bruce, grace, uh, Bruce Paris preached last week about uh, Jesus being the only way. There's only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. Our culture doesn't like to hear that because we want to hear all dogs go to heaven and all roads lead to the same place. But Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He didn't just claim to be a good moral teacher or prophet. He claimed to be the Son of God. And he claimed that you and I have a sin problem. And he came to take care of that. He died for all that junk that we put up on the screen and more earlier. You don't got to fix all that. You just got to admit all that. Confess, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Thank you for creating me in your image, for dying on the cross to bring me new life. I want that. Forgive me and begin new life in me. That's where it starts. That's where you got to, if, if you haven't done that, start there. If you have done that, what's God challenging you with this week? Is it starting to, to renew your mind or restarting? Sometimes we, we start well and then we drift back and we get distracted again by the things of this world. So maybe it's restarting that process of renewing your mind, focusing on the things above, living with that eternal perspective so that your heart and mind are fixed on those things and then your actions are going to follow. So if that's where God's prompting you today, you make some notes about that and be praying about that and talk to somebody else about it this week. Maybe it's getting rid of some of those old clothes. Maybe it's time to change the wardrobe, right? got to go through the closet and get rid of the, the moth-eaten stuff, the ripped-up stuff. No matter how much you love that old, tattered thing, get rid of it. It's no good. It's stinky. It doesn't work for you anymore. Get rid of those old clothes. And then maybe, you know, one of those things that, that came up on screen or from the passage uh, in terms of the new lifestyle, you know, in terms of uh, bearing with one another or or just loving, or forgiving people as you've been forgiven, all those types of things. What is it that God's prompting in you 
this week. That's a personal thing that you've got to decide between you and God because we're all in this together, but we've all got to make choices each and every day to follow Christ faithfully, take up our cross daily and follow him. Uh, hopefully it's been an encouragement to you guys today as we look to uh, God's word. Let's pray. We'll invite the worship band to come back up and we'll continue as we wrap up today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for your word. Uh, thank you for loving us in spite of all the sin, junk, and baggage. So many times we've rebelled uh, the ways that we've said we were going to live for you and then still failed over and over. Lord, your grace reigns and your love is unfailing. And we just thank you that you've given us new life. We're a new creation in you. And because of that, Lord, we want to live for you. And we need to live for you in a way that's going to point others to you and show that new humanity, the, 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 the image that you created us for, Lord. If we want to live in that fellowship with you, loving each other, loving others in this world, uh, so they don't just see the world in us, they see you in us. And that you be glorified in all that we say and do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.